afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where you can enjoy curbside pickup and take advantage of limited walk-in hours. Inside the Writer Studio is also proud to be an affiliate of Libro FM, the audiobook platform that supports your local independent bookstore. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for more information on Libro FM and a special offer. We had planned to have Matt Haig as our guest this week, but our interview was postponed due to an ice storm, so I'll be speaking with him later in the year. My guest today is Carol Edgarian, whose novel Vera goes on sale March 2nd. Carol, welcome to Inside the Writer Studio. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks, Charlie. So I'm especially excited to talk with you because your novel is set before, during, and after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And as my readers will know, that's an event that features prominently in my novel, Escaping Dreamland. In fact, at one point, I had to call out to my wife. I was like, Carol's main character is standing just a few feet away from one of my characters. I love it. I love it. Which I thought it. was so cool. Um, I... I chose the year 1906 and then decided, well, then I have to include the earthquake. Where did Vera begin for you? Vera began, it, it, it seems all my novels, I, I, I come in sideways. I sort of surprise myself. I began collecting books about the quake decades ago um, and I'd read them and um, obsess upset you can't be you can't be a resident of San Francisco and not on some level think okay here here comes the next one and I yeah, live yeah. through Loma Prieta so um the sense of within a minute an entire society collapsing um really struck me as as powerful as dramatic then, of course, there was the three days of fire, which people don't really talk about, but yeah. were, were far more devastating in terms of leaving, you know, 28,000 buildings burned, 500 city blocks crushed. Um, so I didn't think I was necessarily going to place a novel in, in the earthquake, but as it, it kept haunting me, and as I was developing this notion of writing an adventure about a girl who is really on the margins, who is contrary in every way, including, and whose life is contradictory. You know, she's housed, but homeless, surrounded by quote family, but unloved, um, looking for some kind of moral center or compass in a corrupt world. Um, I began to think more and more about some of the stuff I'd read about the quake. And it was in the lead up to the 2016 election, like mm -hmm. it was 2014, 2015. And I was feeling like our society was really in a precarious place, that norms were being um, abolished, that the, the, the discrepancy between the haves and the have nots were becoming much more um, well, much more um, a, in a crisis kind of place. And I'm always looking in my fiction to kind of find that nexus of the political, uh, um, the political, a moment in society where something really uh, 
basic is about to change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and characters bent on reinvention. And suddenly those two aspects, the quake and, and this character Vera suddenly seem like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go there and play. Yeah. And, and then I got lost in almost two years of research, which I always do, because it's, it's I, I think for you too, it's part of why we do what we do. We get oh, to yeah. learn about these new worlds and go deep enough into them to just become a little dangerous um, in terms of holding, holding the history, but not holding it as something precious, but as something that, that gives us an opportunity for story. So I, I like the way you described um, Vera's character, but tell us a little bit, and, and this isn't too much of a spoiler because we find this out very early in the book. Tell us about, she has a unique, I think, family situation. Yeah, uh, she sure does. To tell us a little bit about that setup before we go and, and talk more deeply about the novel. So Vera, um, Vera, the character at the opening of the book, is it, it's her 15th birthday. And she has been, she is the daughter of, one of the most famous madams of the Barbary Coast, mm-hmm. um, a character named Rose. And Rose runs an establishment called The Rose. And when Vera was very young, not, not, not just two, uh, Rose gives her in a deal, a negotiated deal, because Rose is all about dealing, um, to a Swedish widow who's living out in the boonies, who's really at a moment of desperation, thinking she will have to enter prostitution in order to to feed her her young child. And instead, Rose makes a deal with her, and we learn this in in very short order in backstory, um, that no, you can come to the city, I'm gonna set you up in a house, and you will raise this child as your own. Um, and I will provide everything. But here's the, cl- here's the clint, the, 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 the complication is Vera is only going to see her real mother three times a year. Yeah. Um, and of course that sets up a kind of yearning to be, to be with her. And um, Maury, her, uh, her foster mother is someone who has her own complexities. <laughs> She's in debt. She's a gambler and a tippler and um, doesn't really like this girl she's raising. So all kinds of complications and um, matters of the heart <laughs> to be now, explored. I have to say, when I, when I started the book, I thought, okay, you know, the earthquake's gonna happen. And it doesn't happen for quite a while. Nope. And, but the reader, I think, knows on page one, not only that that's coming, but how destructive it's gonna be. And yet the characters don't know that. Right. Um, can you talk about how you how you sort of played around with the difference between the reader's expectations and the and the character's knowledge? Well, I think it's really it it the the quake the quake is really the break bef- between before and after. Mm-hmm. But you can't really. There's so much um, going on in terms of of drama between the characters and what's at stake that the that the the quake is a demarcation, but it actually isn't the arc of the book. The arc of the book in many ways is Vera's journey, of course, but it's also what was going on in the background was the mayor at the time, um, a a fellow named Eugene Schmitz um, was going to be indicted 
on the morning of the quake and instead he got the quake and so this whole corrupt world of of rose of the mayor of the guy who ran the town abruff um all those players and also the society of san francisco all that is moving 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 and it in crisis and you have to you have to know that um and and be engaged in it as as a reader in order to understand the after that the quake um, i love this there's a moment where the the mayor thinking about his pending indictment is sort of like, if only something would happen to make this not, and and that's just such a great moment because the reader knows exactly what's going to yeah, happen. And exactly, the mayor, of course, has exactly. no idea. And um, power, the power, the power of, of, of wishing, the power yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Um, and, and, and fun for me to write a character. Um, maybe we'll let the siren go by fun for me to write a character who is so deeply invested in his own folly and corruption yeah, yeah, that yeah, he's yeah. like up until the last minute you know there there isn't guilt at play necessarily here yeah, um, yeah. jara says of maury early in the book she says doesn't everyone have at least two opposing natures warring inside them how do you see that particular idea playing out across the novel i'm really glad you pulled that line um, I, I, uh, when I often find that I write something and I pick up my head and say, oh yeah, that's what, that is what I think, yeah. you know, <laughs> or, or the character will think something and I'll much down, down the road think, yeah, I, I actually agree with that. Yeah. Um, I, for me, um, I, I am always trying and I gauge the success of my stories on whether or not I can show the 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 complexity within a character the 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 wrong rightness i call it within a character um i i i really um that's to me when when a reader really will invest in someone if they have that kind of nuance that kind of contradiction you know we're 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 all just full of contradictions and if I can show both a character's desire and underneath that desire, um, her vulnerability and how she does, he or she doesn't necessarily act in his or her best interest or anyone's best interest, despite good intentions. Um, that's interesting to me. So I, and Vera, um, really her quest in the novel is to figure out what is true. Her name is Vera, after all, truth. And so she's always moment to moment to moment looking at these connivers who surround her and figuring out what is what is true in, in a moment, what is true about each. You know, there's a line also early on where she says, um, you know, I was always looking for one adult, one single adult who can show me how to behave. And of course she never finds that adult. She has to become her. It seems to me as I, I was reading, uh, especially in the first sort of third of the novel, that even if there wasn't an earthquake, that this is a book that could only take place in San Francisco. Um, do, do you agree with that? And, and if so, why? Well, San Francisco, first of all, it, you know, in this newish country of ours is a newer city and yeah. it burned to the ground five times, five times. 
But also, if you go back to the beginning of the city, it was founded by miners. It was founded, founded by these renegade, entrepreneurial, um, often unschooled, um, rules don't apply to us, hubristic um, go-getters. And the industry that sprung up around them, they had a ton of money to burn. I mean, San Francisco has always had a ridiculous rents. Um, I mean, I, I read somewhere that like a tent during the gold rush was something like cost, like to rent it was something like, it was thousands of dollars. Now think about that in gold rush days. And so that has always been the basic DNA of the city. And it continues to this day, overpriced, rules don't apply, hugely optimistic, but the hubris of the city, the shadow side of that is still, is at play today. And, and even, you know, in 1906, the people who had money, the people who didn't have money, um, that has always been such a, a central tension in, in the city. Yeah. And prostitution, the prostitutes were revered. I mean, they catered to the gold rush miners and they were there really before there was an organized police force. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, um, there, an early scene in the book is when Enrico Caruso comes, comes to town. And for San Francisco in 1906, that was a huge deal because it marked a moment of, hey, we've actually entered society when really, um, you know, seeing, seeing Miss Flora at the roller derby was much more sort of the, the local favorite. And, you know, Caruso... Um, Mount Vesuvius had just erupted. Yeah. Bruce was completely traumatized back home in Naples. And coming out on the train from New York, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because he thought of San Francisco as a murderous town, which of course that, that was how it was known. And so he, I read somewhere that, you know, he was so sleepless that he had his valet get off the train and buy a pistol. And of course, you know, that was just one moment where I read something, and I know, Charlie, this is true for you too in your work. You read something and it just captures a little, it, it just lodges in your brain and you, you know, you create your own story with that little bit of nugget of what, you know, I kept imagining Caruso in this town and of course, um, the night before the quake, he performs in Carmen. Yeah. And the morning of the quake, he is, poor guy, having just lived through Mount Vesuvius, he is awakened by the quake and he thinks he's going to die. I love the, I mean, I, I, I with with the handling of uh, Caruso, you and I sort of touched on some of the same points. And, you know, the thing about the pistol, and I love the, the, the real... I, I say seen, but it's it really happened of him, you know, running out of this grand hotel and then sending his valet back in to get his boxes and and 
trunks and everything else. (laughs) He had something Uh, like 52 trunks. Yeah, yeah. He made the poor valet, valet, you know, he was in the Palace Hotel, which quickly caught fire. And he made the valet kept going up and up to get the trunks. I mean, there is devastation everywhere. And in the center of Market Street, you know, dead horses, collapsed buildings, dead bodies. (laughs) And, And Caruso wants his wants his fine linens. But I think it gets at something about how, you know, that we even, even in the midst of this, this almost unimaginable tragedy, there, there are still moments of, of comedy, moments of humanity, moments of all the things that we expect in, in an ordinary day are, are still there, even with the world sort of collapsing around them. Well, you know, here's the thing. And it's, it's something when, when, you know, this book be called historical fiction. And of course, I, it is historical. There was a lot of research that went in. There is, there is, there are real characters and then a fictional world built on top of it. But, you know, when we think of historical work, um, yesterday was historical, you know, yesterday was history. And the thing that hasn't changed from 1906 to today, or even farther back is the human animal. Yeah. I mean, we are still uh, 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 riddled with contradictions and folly. And to me, that's, that's how, uh, if I'm successful, that's how, that's how my fiction needs to read. It needs to read um, like news of the day, like news of the day. It needs to have that importance. And, and what you're saying, the human, the, the humor of, of just how people act, how their misdeeds, um, you know, what makes them tick. Vera um, is really aware of how different physically she looks from her adoptive family. Um, Can you talk about the role that race plays in the novel? Well, she's the daughter of Rose who um, never clarifies for Vera, um, what her background is. Um, and Vera has no idea until, until the end, and then it's just a, a very smart guess who her father is. What she does know is that she doesn't look anything like the Swedes she's living with. Yeah. She, is, she is olive-skinned, she has darker hair, um, she has brown, dark brown eyes, so she stands out. Uh, and so the deal is visually apparent that, there, that there's one person in a family of three who doesn't fit. And so she always feels like the outsider, like other. Um, and that ambiguity of where she comes from becomes, is very much at play for her. Where do I belong? I think in so much of our American story, so many of us, um, there is an element of, of, of being displaced, um, of how we came here, of, of not belonging. And that's certainly Vera's story, but it's also the story, and when you bring up race, I mean, there. It is the story of Tan, who who is really a central character, and in my mind, um, one of the heroes of the book. Um, who is Rose's butler, major domo, chef. Um, he is skilled at wines and cooking, and um, 
and skilled also in ways of life, who um, knows, who, who is a family man who lives to love his daughter, um, something that Vera, Vera never experiences, a correct parent. Um, he is this elegant person, but he's also a Chinese servant in 1906. So despite all of his gifts, he is, he lives on, in a basement with cast off furniture on a dirt floor. And that contradiction of who Tan really is and what he has to endure um, very much becomes a through line of the book. And he and Vera decide early on that they are rivals, that they dislike each other, but actually that's a kind of attraction. Yeah. And as things evolve, more and more without giving the story away, they come to realize that they are the essential partnership and that they can, that they can count on each other. And likewise, um, some of the, some of the, the sex workers who worked at the Rose who post quake are, are homeless come into Vera's life. And, um, they are of, of mixed, they are of, of different races and sexual orientations. And um, they, some of them become actually her chosen family. And it's through those, those moments of shifts, seismic shifts, if you will, um, that the story sort of, those are, the, those are the gears that the story moves on. I see, you know, when I look at Tan and the way he is so good at so many different things, it, it, you know, it reminds me of, of my own past history coming from families in the American South where I know there were generations where the person who was really running the household was a person who was a different race from the, from the people who, who owned, quote unquote, the household and was living in, living in poverty and all the things. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the just the place of the Chinese population in general and, and how you portrayed that, especially after the quake. I mean, I knew how marginalized they had been, but um, some of what you talk about what happens to them after the quake, I thought was fascinating. Well, Ch Chinatown was flattened and burned. So, so early on um, it was, it, it vanished. And what did, what did the quote authorities, many of whom were soldiers who were brought in who had no sense of what, um, the history of San Francisco. They, so they were they were outsiders. Immediately corralled the Chinese and put them in an encamp in an encampment in the Presidio. So and they weren't allowed to leave. And so Tan and his family, when they come to where to where Vera is, um, they can't leave that the the safety of that house. And to be to be to be at risk on so many levels. First of all, are we going to survive? Is there going to be food? Is there enough water? Moment to moment, and look right over the horizon. Indeed, six blocks away, here comes the fire. Yeah. And you are someone who can't run because if you run, you are going to some soldier is going to pick you up and stick you in an encampment. Um, all those levels of risk, yeah. all those levels of, you know, they're both they're both inherently dramatic, but they also bring out your the essential character in someone. Mm -hmm. You know, all those various levels of testing, 
And I think for me, Charlie, you know, so much, um, you know, I, we, we always write from our own urgency. I don't write autobiographically, but you know, what's underneath the story, this notion of displacement, this notion of being marginalized. I mean, my own story, um, both my parents were first generation. My father's family brought the trauma uh, with them, the trauma of the Armenian genocide. On my mother's side, um, her parents were alcoholics and they came during prohibition um, against their will. Um, the matriarch of the family brought them over thinking they could not get booze in you know, the 1920s. Well, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> in Connecticut, you could get plenty of booze. Wasn't too hard. And my, my mother was taken from her family. I mean, it was a, an abusive alcoholic situation. I mean, you can imagine how bad it was that she was removed from the ha her home in 1940 mm -hmm. and put in an orphanage where she stayed till she was 18. So on both sides, this notion of being displaced, of being marginalized, of being the outsider, um, is really is is something I'm I'm often working in the in my fiction. I love you describe Rose as a woman who, and I'm quoting here, had eyes everywhere like Satan and God. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I think that is such a great description. But tell us a little bit about Rose and and why that phrase is such a good description of her. Well, you know, we don't we don't ever get Rose's background because of course Vera doesn't ever really get it. But what she's heard from some of the women at the Rose is that um, Rose was found as a waif in Mexico city and brought North uh, to serve as a prostitute when she was in her early teens, 12, 13. Now that is said and never gets that confirmed, but that is sort of the basis of imagine this young girl having to survive in this really kind of wild time town and survive by her wits. So by the time Vera comes to know her, she is incredibly powerful, yeah. has her finger in a lot of pies, including she is, she is on the graft train just right along with the mayor and everyone else. So she's taking bribes, she's negotiating the deals, and she's managing um, a, a, an establishment that has, you know, on the bottom level, a tavern and on the top level suites where, you know, five course meals are served right alongside the elegant satin lined bed. So she is very much an operator in town and there is both, and she's smart, but not book smart. She's life smart and speaks various languages, at least with the words she needs to, yeah, keep, her, yeah. to keep her business going, but all that she's managing. And she says at a point in the book, you know, Vera confronts her and says, didn't you ever wish to have a family? And she says, no, I, I'm more like a man that way, never wanted that. And so she was fascinating for me to write that, like, what would a woman at that time have to be like to, to, to operate at that level and be that successful? And of course, she's imperiled when they're coming after Mayor Schmitz, they're also coming after Rose. Yeah. And how she's negotiating all of that, knowing all the secrets of so many of the players in town who have been her customers. 
But I love that Vera has, even though, as you said, she only sees her three times a year. She, to her, Rose is almost a, a mystical absence, if you will. But, but she really, I think, really looks up to Rose and has in, this, in her this model of a strong, powerful woman, a woman who at sometimes we think is maybe more powerful than the mayor and has a better oh, chance think, of surviving this. No, uh, no question. Yeah. The um, bears come and go. So, so, I mean, that begs the general question is how, how did you see the, the role of women in power in San Francisco in 1906? And how long did it take to get back to that level or, or has it happened? Is it, I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think um, women were allowed because yeah, in the West, things were things were looser. They were more um, they were moment to moment being defined. I think women were allowed to assert themselves, and certainly the women of the Barbary Coast were were revered. They were respected. You know, there were moments when if they appeared, you know, at in an auditorium, people stood stood as they as they took their seats. I mean, there was there was a kind of reverence for these women. And I love creating those kind of characters who have agency, who go against the grain. The the rub is that society was was forming in 1906. It was more than forming and society likes to come in and put women in their place. So you have the character of Pi, Rose's Rose's, you know, quote, sister Maury's child who is who has much more conventional expectations of life who um, you know is looking at a, a, a pretty girl um, who is looking for marriage who is looking to rise in her station and solve her mother's debt problem at the same time so that kind of that kind of life that that Vera would never want and you know the other thing, to your question, Charlie, is nature versus nurture. One of the things that was fun to explore was Rose didn't raise Vera, but Vera is Rose's girl. So where their intelligence is much more aligned yeah. is, is there is a kind of knowing between them that is, that is about blood. Yeah. It, it feels to me that this disaster, this quake forces Vera to confront some truths about herself and about her life that maybe she's been avoiding up to that point. What, what do you feel the novel has to say about the relationship between disaster and, you know, our, our sort of the human heart or our, our human psychology? Well, I hope, I hope that's, it, it has a lot to say about that. <laughs> I think, um, you know, on a very basic level, I think we're all trying to get home. I think, and certainly for these characters and for Vera, trying to find a place where you belong with people who care about you um, and who are your people. And there's that sense of that deep, profound sense of loyalty and love. And when the quake happens, you, Vera, Vera is cast in the role of adult. And she not only has to survive, she has a lot of people depending on her. Um, and, but for the first time, she also is assembling people who are more her people and who prove mm -hmm. themselves. She is somebody 
who is deeply loyal, um, deeply um, capable. And so, you know, her reaction is always to take care, to do the thing that needs to get done. And, um, but for the first time in her life, the quake brings forward people who likewise want to take care of her. And that, that opening of her heart, that opening of possibility to something more than just sort of living by your wits to get by is, is really the arc of her story. She, Vera describes the days after the quake as days that broke her and made her. And that really made me think about, um, you know, does, does that one process need to precede the other? And what is, what do you see, I mean, both in the context of the novel and of the character, but in a broader context, if you like, as the relationship between destruction and creativity? I think, and I think we're seeing it today, Charlie, in, in what is going on right now. I think when things are deeply broken, when there is that kind of societal collapse, all, all that's wrong comes to the foreground mm -hmm. and, and has to be dealt with. But there's also an opportunity to reimagine, to, to there's, an, there's an opportunity, how, however brief, for correction. And, and that's both in the larger societal sense, and it's also in each of our houses, right? It, it, in, each of, in each of our families, there's that moment of all that's wrong. Okay, once we get past the level of survival, um, you can't go back. You can't go back. It's hard to even imagine the before. So here we are in the moment in, in this, you know, marking the year of the pandemic. I mean, don't you feel it hard? It's almost hard to imagine what we were like before, it is. right? But in the process of this year, I know in my own life, there are a lot of things that I thought were important I have completely let go of. And realizing in this pared down world we're all living in, how, how much better that feels in a lot of ways if we're lucky enough to have a roof over our heads and food on the table and that our people are safe. And um, for, for Vera and, and, and not all the characters come out the other end, I mean, those that survive, not all of them come out changed. That would be too much to hope for. You know, many of them just yeah, want yeah. things to go right back the way they were. But Vera changes and Vera, Vera has purpose, but she also has, um, her vulnerability is something she wears a little more easily. Mm -hmm. um, and in the most fundamental way, she really becomes a woman. There, she, was, she was still a child at, at, before the quake and the quake marks the passage, both in responsibility, in her own sexuality and in, in, in her heart, she becomes a woman. You mentioned you know, the um, the pandemic, and I, you know, I found I, I've had an experience that you've also had. I wrote a novel that was at least partly about um, what happens after you encounter tragedies in your life. One of them was the was the earthquake, and I wrote that novel well before the thirteenth of March, twenty twenty, but it was published after that time. And I, when it came out, I saw it with different eyes than the eyes course. that had had created it. How, how has, has been that experience for you? Because it strikes me that yours is even more 
as, as you just mentioned, sort of more closely related to the experience that we're in, but did you, did you have that moment of coming back to the text that you'd created and seeing it with new eyes? Yeah, and I think that's still evolving, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what struck me recently was, you know, you can conjure a book, uh, you conjure a book, if it's, if it's based, if it's his, historical and based on research, you're right, you're, you're, you're living in that time, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. You're writing the book in yet another time and you're read, at least if you're, if you're being published in 2021, you're read in yet another time. Mm-hmm. And, and context is so much of, is so relevant to how readers read. Um, you, you, there's no way I could have predicted the time we're in. I finished the book in, I mean, the last revision um, in uh, January of 2020. Yeah. So before COVID, ha- yeah. having no yeah. idea that we were yeah. about yeah. to enter this odyssey, this catastrophe. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a line that Harris says early on, you know, all my life I've been waiting for a catastrophe greater than my birth. And that, of course, you know, is really the springboard to what follows. But I think about, I think about today and how, you know, I have, I, I have three daughters, the youngest of whom is, is 19, and how this is going to be the demarcation in their lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the before and after of, of, you know, it's their blitz, it's their world war, it's their... Um, it's their moment when everything changed. Yeah. 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 Um, Vera says of herself, I was indeed a student of human nature as every orphan and hooker and unwanted kid must be. And as soon as I saw that list, I thought, I think we need to add the word novelist to that list. <laughs> uh, do, do you see yourself as a student of human nature? And if so, uh, what did you, what did you learn from Vera herself? Oh, she taught me a lot. I, you know, there's the old saw of write what you know. I don't know if that's true for you, but I write what I want to find out. Of. Yes. I want to, yeah. what I want to know. And that's true, not only in terms of research, but it's true of, 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 of this, of, of the human heart and mm-hmm. the human, um, and, and, and questions about where we are, where we're going and what it means, the connections. Um, it's why I read and it's why I write. I'm always looking for where are the connections and the surprises in the connections. And Vera taught me, you know, Vera, that contradictory nature of Vera, you know, that was really refreshing to write. She, she's not a pleaser. She, you know, I think I'm, I'm personally more of a, of a connector of a, of a, um, wanting to make everything all right. Vera doesn't care about any of that. And that was incredibly freeing. And her wisdom moment to moment, um, you know, she's a much older Vera is the narrator of the story. And um, she crystallized a lot of things I'm, I'm, I, I was hovering around, I was thinking about, but that I didn't actually know and certainly didn't have, hadn't, hadn't put language to the knowing until Vera gave me that chance. Yeah, yeah. I like the, what you said about her, the differences with you. I think sometimes as novelists, we have a tendency 
to write characters who are like ourselves, but the real fun is when we write the characters who are as different from us as, as possible. I think if, for me, at least that's, that's where the, uh, that's where the fun, fun comes in. Yeah. I, I also think if you're really going to bring in as many readers as possible, you need to get out of your own, your own personality and yeah, write yeah. as many different kinds of personality. I'm always fascinated by that question. You know, who, what character is, is you in the book? And I think, well, they're all me. Yeah. They're all aspects. They're all, and, and they all are and none of them are. Is and usually none my is answer. Me. Yeah. None, yeah. none. Yeah. Because how limiting. I don't want to, I mean, I live with me. I, <laughs> I write to get out of me. And you live in San Francisco. In, I in do. What, in what ways do you see, or, or do you see the scars or the after effects of that day 115 years ago still in, in the city where you live? You know, if I walk out my door, and go, uh, let's say east or or south, uh, 10 blocks, 10, 12 blocks, I'm where the city was ashes. Mm -hmm. So um, I can still see, you can see where the Victorians start mm -hmm. having the fire having just stopped a block away. Um, and, you know, sadly, Van Ness, which had for, you know, eight, 10 blocks, these gorgeous mansions, what they did to create a fire break was, um, and I think about this, I didn't, I didn't put it, um, I, I mentioned it in the novel, but I often think about this. So you have these grand mansions and, you know, certainly they are, think they lost things in the quake, but they were standing, they were solid and knock, knock, knock on the door. A soldier saying you have 45 minutes to get out. We're about to blow up yeah. your house. Yeah. And they did, they dynamited to create the fire break. And interesting, I don't know if you saw this in your research, but interestingly, a lot of people think the wind shifted. It wasn't the fire break. It was the wind shifting. Mm -hmm that made the fire stop. So, so those houses could have stayed. I don't know about that, but fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, we like to end every episode of Inside the Writer's Studio with the same 10 questions. Uh, you should be able to answer each of them in just a few words, but hopefully they'll give our listeners some insight into you and into your writing. So if you're ready, we will begin. What word do you love to work into your writing? Grace. I love the word grace, not not in a not a, in a religious sense, mm -hmm. but in a sense of connection of, of moment. What word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? Recently, the word grapple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where's your favorite place to write? I'm I I'm lucky enough to have an office in my house, so I do most of my writing here. But I often migrate to the kitchen table because mm -hmm. it's it's a sunny spot. So yeah. I like to I like to go there. Where could you never write? In a crowded room in a cafe. Mm -hmm. To what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? Um, I'd, I'd flip that and say I am a I am a huge fan of the semicolon despite oh, it's what? despite its lack of popularity oh, oh no the semicolon is great i love um, the semicolon let me also say charlie i double i put two spaces after a period i cannot oh, yeah because yeah, those of us who grew up with typewriters I, I, understand I, that yeah. i just can't can't change <laughs> uh, what was the first book you remember reading oh i read 
everything as a kid. One book that I recently thought about and realized it had an indelible effect on me, certainly not the first book um, in terms of years, but uh, Johnny Tremaine oh, had, yeah, a great, yeah. had a great impact on me. What are you reading now? I am reading Le Carre right now, and oh. I had never read, really read him, and I am loving him. I, I totally, I've, I've, I've drunk the Kool-Aid, um, and it's great. You know, at this point, I read so much in manuscript for the work I do and yeah. with narrative that it's, it's a total escape, and he's, he's a beautiful writer. Yeah. What book would you like to have written? I'm going to say three books. Okay. Anna Karenina, Billy Bathgate, and Sula. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of book would you like to write, but probably never will? Well, to the point about Le Carre, I, I'm thinking I'm going to write, I, I, my next book that um, I'm thinking about is kind of, has a murder mystery kind mm -hmm. of component. So um, I never say never. Yeah, yeah. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? I couldn't put it down. <laughs> this has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett. And my guest today has been Carol Edgarian, whose novel Vera hits bookstores on March 2nd. Carol, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Charlie. This was fun. Inside the Writer's Studio is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. Inside the Writer's Studio is proud to be affiliated with Libro FM. Unlike other audiobook platforms, Libro FM supports your local independent bookstore. Whether you buy a single book or, like me, a monthly subscription, you can link your account to your local store or to Bookmarks to support literary community. For a special two-for-one offer, go to Libro.fm and use the discount code WRITERS. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider leaving a rating or review online at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. In our next episode, I'll be talking to New York Times bestselling author Jill Santapolo about her new novel, Everything After. Until then, thanks for listening, and may you read with wonder and write with passion.